Well, the Colorado men's basketball season came to an end last Thursday in Orlando. Colorado finished up the season 23-12. and 12. My name is Adam Munster-Tiger. I'm the publisher of BuffStampede.com. To my left, I'm joined by fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. To my right, senior writer Ryan Konigsberg. we got a lot to talk about in this show. We're going to talk about what happened out in Orlando uh, with the Buffaloes losing to Pittsburgh 77-48 to and maybe talk a little bit about how that might have dampened what was a pretty successful season. We're going to give out our season awards and later on I'm going to talk a little bit about spring football. So we've got a lot on, on, on tap. First off guys, how are your brackets looking after the, the first weekend of March Madness here? Oh, I've got two, which is a cheater's mentality for some. I know you only like to do one. I think you only do one, too, right, Ryan? No, I have, I have a couple. You have a couple. Okay. okay. Well, uh, I have actually was I looked at it last night because I was curious. I have 11 of the Sweet 16 right in both. Um, I have seven of the Elite Eight still alive in one and, and five of the Elite Eight still alive in the other. And I have all my Final Four picks still alive. Okay. So, yeah, overall, I'd say pretty good. I mean, I've got the right guy, the right teams going deep at least so far. Um, mine's looking all right. In, uh, in Tyler's bracket, I threw up a, a perfect East region, but uh, my Midwest is about as far from perfect as it could possibly be, so balance those out. The top two are pretty average. I'm hanging in there. Um, doesn't look like a, a championship bracket to me, though. I've got uh, top 10 in all the pools I'm in, so as long as Florida and Louisville keep winning basketball games, I'll be doing okay. Ryan, you compared spring football to eggnog on our last show. What, what is the NCAA tournament? To me, it's it's creme brulee. I'm not a big dessert guy, but every time I've ordered that dessert, I, it's always hit the spot. And the NCAA tournament seems to be that way for me. It, no matter what, there's always intrigue and there's always great games, even if the team you cover gets blown out by 29 points. Yeah, I would have to compare it to uh, Kahlua cake. My roommate's girlfriend makes this Kahlua cake. It's probably the best dessert ever. So okay. it's not eggnog, that's for sure. Okay. Well, we got to start the show, and this is going to be the, the most negative segment, and there's no way for it not to be. Uh, Colorado outscored 46-18 to 18 in the first half of their game against Pittsburgh. Really weren't in it for a minute. I mean, it was – Tyler, you were out that, at that game. Um, share your observations sitting in the stands there. Uh, obviously, you're our fan correspondent, so you probably didn't have a great time sitting in, in the arena. Talk a little bit about the atmosphere out there. Yeah, I mean, it was it was tough. I mean, even even before the game, walking around the city, I mean, it's a pretty small city, so there's only you know only so many people places you can hide, and you could tell right away there wasn't going to be a big CU contingent there. Um, honestly, there wasn't a big pit contingent there. I would say. Maybe they had 150 and we had 100. I mean, it was it was a small crowd for the games that, for the teams that were actually playing in the game. I mean, Florida fans took up it was certainly nowhere close to full, but took up the majority of the filled seats um, just because obviously they played in the same session, so they just went in um, to watch the game. Uh, and the game was uh, rough. And, you know, there's really no other way to put it. Um, you could just kind of get a feeling the game was over. Literally within the first two minutes. I mean, they're down seven nothing, down thirteen nothing. You could just see the team just deflated, and they, they just didn't believe they could score on, on Pittsburgh's defense enough to make the game competitive, and it just got worse from there throughout the first half. I mean, I kind of caught myself 
making fun of some of these games the other day that were like 20 to 18 at halftime or someone was dropping 18 points and I was just like yeah we did that and also gave up 46 <laughs> you know it's, it, that first half was just awful I mean I don't remember Lamar Patterson's first half stats but he's their stud and I don't remember him doing anything at all I mean Tlaib Zana took over the game right away their guards just hit everything which wasn't what you expected but when you leave, when you let guys get out in transition, get easy buckets, and get on a roll, get out to an early lead, get some confidence, everything's going to start falling in, no matter how average of an offensive team you are. So we, I mean, really, just the you know the snowball was built, started rolling, and it was over quick. I was shocked at halftime. I looked at the stats, and Pitt had more field goals made than Colorado had attempted. Yeah, yeah. And that was obviously based off uh, the turnovers. Uh, in the game, Colorado had 17 turnovers. They only forced Pittsburgh into three. You look at CU starting backcourt with Eskia Booker and Xavier Talton. Those guys combined to go three for 15. They had seven turnovers, zero assists. When your starting backcourt produces that, you're not going to win basketball games. You're not going to be competitive. Um, Ryan, what were your, we were watching the game together at the Blake Street Tavern. And, uh, unfortunately for the Blake Street Tavern, that place was clearing out. Uh, by halftime because the the game was already out of hand. Ryan, what were your your takeaways from the game? Yeah, I mean, there's really not much you can say. Like, there's a couple people on our board after the game being like, Adam Ryan, like, how does this happen? Explain this. And it's like, you saw the game. I mean, the the Buffs could do absolutely nothing against that defense. We kind of talked during the game. We were like, from an unbiased point of view, that was pretty amazing to see what Pittsburgh did on defense. It was like, it was, I mean, if you're not from a Colorado background, that was kind of a joy to see. They definitely had CU scouted to a T in terms of taking Josh Scott out of the game. Exactly. And, you know, you kind of think, I mean, what what did they tell the team before the game? Because it did not look like the guys in the post were prepared to be doubled that hard that quick. And, I mean, when you watch Pitt, that's almost, you think the first thing that would pop up on the scouting report is, Josh, you're going to have to get rid of that ball quick if that's coming, and it's going to be coming. And I just don't think CU is ready for how fast Pittsburgh recovers off those double teams. You know, you, you usually look at it, okay, if they're going to double, someone's going to be open. But, I mean, by the time the ball got to whoever the open guy was, they were they were already there. So I just think CU came in really not ready for how quick and, and how hard they double. And you just saw, I mean, like Tyler said, after they went down 13-0, it was like, in their minds, they were like, how are we ever going to make up 13 points against this defense? And, and to your point, with their defense and how quick they are, I, I felt like watching the game, it looked like they had six defenders out there. How quick they were to recover off those double teams. Yeah, I was, I was, Zana is a type of player that we didn't really see in the Pac-12. And we have some big, some good big guys in the Pac-12, Bachinski. Um, you know, Tony Parker at UCLA is a big wide body too, but they don't have this the, the lateral quickness that you see from a Tlaib Zana. I mean, Dwight Powell is a very lateral quick guy, but not 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 huge by any means, so he's a totally different player to play against. You know, those big guys at Stanford play, they're good on the baseline, but not overly quick. I just think they really struggled with the you know, Zana inside being able to recover as Ryan you know, focused on too, at least to me. That was the biggest concern. Another thing too with this game is you look back, Colorado basketball had a national stage. Obviously, any game in the NCAA tournament's a national stage. And in the, the uh, game against Arizona, where game day was in town, they had the national stage that night on ESPN, the night game. In both of those cases, they get blown out. To a, ca- a casual college basketball fan that only checks out some of those you know, big-time stages, they probably don't have a strong impression of Colorado. Um, so 
I, I think there is a little bit of embarrassment that, that goes along with what happened out there in Orlando. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't necessarily disagree with those people, but the only thing you can really say is, yeah, you're a casual fan. They want to say, you know, we had some people saying that we didn't even deserve to get into the tournament. And you just look, I mean, even now, you look at our resume and say, listen, okay, there's no <laughs> chance that we weren't getting in. I mean, we played 13 games against NCAA tournament teams. That's got to be among the best in the country. Um, even now, we have we played six games against people, or lost six games against teams that are still in the Sweet 16 and beat Kansas and Stanford. I mean, we, we played teams that are legit and won enough of those games. So to me, we didn't show up. There's It was embarrassing, 100%. There's no way you can argue that. But to say that this team didn't deserve to get in is completely false. Well, you, you just look, it comes, I mean, a lot of it just comes down to matchups. I mean, you look at Stanford, they're in the Sweet 16 right now, and Colorado just beat them in their house not too long ago. It kind of, it's, the NCAA tournament is all about, you know, being hot, of course. Stanford is playing really good basketball right now, but it's also just about the ball falling your way and getting a good matchup. And I think everyone knew as soon as we did any background work into Pitt, you thought, wow, this is really, really tough matchup. You know, you it look, it was more of, um, you know, you expected an 11-6 game than Colorado being the favorite. So, um, I think it just a lot of it comes down to which way the you know the, the cookie crumbles and it just didn't crumble the right way for the Buffs. Yeah, Pitt was not a, a typical nine seed the way they were playing basketball coming in, and I can't remember the last time a nine seed had a six and a half point spread over the eight seed going into into the game. Somewhere on Twitter, I forget who said it, but that was yeah, they were at the time it was five and a half, which was the largest not even nine over eight eight nine matchup spread in the last six years. So, yeah, unusually high favoritism from Vegas. I mean, ended up being rightfully so, yeah, um, in, in that matchup. So. So, so how much does this blowout loss dampen what was, I think we could all agree, a pretty good season for Colorado basketball? Um, I think right now for at least Colorado fans, it's going to sting for a while. You know, that's the last thing in their mouth. But you can, I mean, if you look at the season as a whole, just making the tournament and being able to say, hey, we've made the tournament three consecutive years, should be four. Just for recruiting, you know, I mean, not a lot of those recruits probably watch every single one of those tournament games. They might see the score, but just to be able to tell them, you know, we are now about able to call ourselves a perennial tournament team. And I just think that as, as um, just as a whole, when you lost your best player at the very beginning of conference play, it, it goes a long way. You know, next year they're probably going to be able to say it's fourth year. If they wouldn't have gone this year, you wouldn't have been able to say it was a total failure losing their best player. So the fact that they even made it there, I think, you know, you have to look at the season as an overall success. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of one of those ripping the Band-Aid off type scenarios. Um, it, it's going to suck for a little while. I mean, there's, you know, it was that's not how you want to end any season. I think anybody will tell you that. But, you know, rewind back to a couple months ago, and me specifically, I didn't have a lot of confidence we were going to get in without Spencer. So, I mean, they definitely – took a step up and proved some things that I didn't think they were capable of throughout the year. And at the end of the day, it's just one game. I mean, it's obviously the most important game. I'm not going to argue that. But for, for this team and this roster with, you know, the deficiencies that we all saw even before this um, and during the game, I mean, I think it's a pretty big accomplishment that they even were able to make the tournament. Um, so, to, so to me, it's uh, a couple months down the line, people will be okay and realize just how great this performance was for this team. Segwaying into our next topic, which is going to be us giving a, a grade for the, for this past season. Real quick before we get into our grades, did 
the pit loss affect your what you would have given a grade? Yes. Right? Yes. Yes, a little bit. A little bit. I, I agree. And I'll start out with my grade. And I'm going to preface this by saying I am grading a little bit on a curve. I'm taking into consideration the Spencer Dinwiddie injury because if you don't, your grade might be a lot different than it is if, if you take, in, take into consideration the adversity that this team had to face. And my, my grade is going to be a solid B, uh, third most wins in program history, highest earned uh, seed for the NCAA tournament. The pit loss kind of drops it from a B plus or an A minus for me. Um, it, I think that grade a B kind of reflects a good season, but not a memorable season. Yeah, to me, I had it at a B plus and kind of similar to you. I was going to talk a little bit about if, if, if you were to say, take given a piece of paper that said this is our preseason expectations, and then you were blinded to how the season went and you saw how we finished, it would have been a D, C minus. Not, not very good. But, but given the loss of Spencer Dinwiddie and the fact that I personally didn't think they were going to get in, to me, that starts off as an A right there. They accomplished what I didn't think they were going to be able to. Um, the, the loss was embarrassing. It's not how you want to finish the season, as we talk about time and time again. But to me, overall, what this team was able to accomplish was very impressive. And as you said, a couple – they've never been an eight seed, you know, not since the tournament was what it is today, at yeah. least. Um and they would they beat two tournament teams without Spencer. I wasn't sure they were capable of doing that. Uh, so to, to me, overall, really impressive. Yeah, I, I was I agreed with you, Adam. I said it was a solid B. Um, same sort of things that you guys say. Um, I just think if they, like I said, when they got into the tournament, I, I think they were sitting as an A. I thought of it. They're sitting as an A going into the final test, and they failed the final. So that uh, that brought them down to a B. Maybe. You could even go as far as to say a B minus, but I really don't think you can go any lower than that for the same sort of reasons I just said. They made it to the tournament. Um, a close loss probably could have even kept them in, in the A range, in my opinion. But to just go out there and, I mean, they might as well have not even showed up to the tournament. So it, it, you can't, I don't think you can go into the A range. I don't think you can go out of the B range. The, the crazy thing, too, is it. I think how we look at this season down the road is going to be based off a lot of how they do next year. Did they take playing without Spencer Dinwiddie as a, something to build off of? Because we don't know if he's going to be in the program next year. And if they do, if let's say Spencer Dinwiddie goes to the NBA, and we're going to get into that topic later, and early on next season this team is a lot better because of what they face this year, I think – the, the B, when we look back to the season in the future, it'll, it'll, we'll look at it more with a fawn light if they do really well next year, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, t it's tough to really quantify how much of that is due to the fact that they had to play extra minutes this year. I mean, common sense would suggest that, of course, they're going to be better. But could they have been better with Spencer, you know, staying healthy and us going to the Sweet 16? Yeah, I think so as well, for sure. Um, yeah, it, it's just one of those things where – you look back at this in five years, and you're, there's going to be a trivia question somewhere that says, who's the highest-seeded NCAA tournament team ever at Colorado? And if, we, and if no one's gotten past that at, at that point, we'll talk about this team, then it'll, it'll just be weird. Yeah. Because, you know, because in this four-year – I mean, I would say, honestly, I still, I still think with Spencer being injured, the best team of the last four years is the one that didn't get in. Yeah. So it's just kind of – we have a weird I – mean, we've moved up in seed – but the, to me, the, the the actual talent level on the team doesn't really match up with the seeding. That that ends this year, though, doesn't it? Because of the experience you're going to bring back and the amount of talent you're going to have on the team, it's no longer this kind of qualifying things. It's like next year's team has to 
win a game, at least one game in the tournament for no matter how, what they do in the regular season. Yeah, I, mean, I think it'll it'll depend a lot on Dom because we need him to be ready to go right away. I think if he comes in and he can be a solid freshman point guard for us, uh, yes. That, the, there's no, you know there's none of that anymore. That'll be the most talented team. Um, and obviously, if Spencer comes back, it won't. That that argument doesn't even need to be had. It's I think stone. I think they have to win a game in the tournament, or else people start calling into question Tad Boyle's ability to win in the tournament. I mean, right now he's sitting at one and four, one and three, one and three. So you know you start falling one and four, then people start to look and say, hey, what's going on here? Uh, you can't get wins in the tournament, and at definitely starting next year, getting into the tournament doesn't kind of have that victory that is put around it that it has been for the last three years. So I think that's honestly going to be a storyline next year. Go, hope, uh, assuming they do make the tournament, people are going to say, all right, you better win this first round game or else, you know, you get to... Or else we're going to criticize you. Right. right. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, not yeah, yeah. it's nothing other than that, but other than... After the pit game, I did a radio interview here in town and the host was talking about Ted Boyle possibly being on the hot seat and I would just... <laughs> Had to remind him of you know their he's history done, in he's basketball. Done more in four years than anybody ever has. Exactly. Yeah, I mean that's that's crazy. I mean, yeah, I don't. I don't even know how. He, I probably would have just laughed if I was asked that question. But yeah, no, he's not on the hot seat. I will say this though: um, one and three is not good. I get that, and we need to start winning some tournament games. But uh, we have to remind ourselves that we've been favored in none of those games too. So. I don't know. The expectation certainly is there to win once you show up sometimes. Uh, but, you know, first of all, we need to be seated higher so that we are favored. I think that's the next step for me. But not winning games you're not favored in is not the end. Also, tournament records are kind of finicky because you can't improve that record unless you get to the Sweet 16. And getting the Sweet 16 is not an easy task for any anybody. Yeah, and we talked about Pitt being a bad matchup. Last year, Illinois was a senior-laden group, a really experienced team. Colorado was still young at that point. Um, so it's not like they've had great matchups in the tournament You know, on top of that. And then they do have the win against UNLV. So. Yeah, and I would say we're kind of getting a little – we're getting back to – that UNLV matchup for us was favorable. Um Especially given the fact that most times when you're an 11 seed, you don't get put into a region that you can drive to. And, you know, you saw there's 5,000 CU fans in that game. Most of the time you don't get that home court advantage, and we've seen that the past couple of years, and that definitely hurts. Well, let's get into our season awards here, and we're going to start out right at the top, team MVP. Tyler, I'll let you go first. It's got to be Josh. Uh, I mean, he there he has his deficiencies, and obviously he there are some things he needs to work on as far as being more available. Um, right now he's, as I always like to say, guardable. Um, the double team is a way that you can sit him out. But, you know, at the end of the day, even on his worst games, it seems like he's flirting with a double-double every single night. And he's one of the best big men on the West Coast. We're going to be able to ride him for the next few years. I mean, it, I, I don't – to me, without him on the floor, we're in trouble. Um, I look at that word valuable, and it kind of brings a different connotation to me. And I think it's because of that that word. It's got to be a ski of Booker, in the in the sense that they didn't. I mean, that team, especially when Spencer went down, that team went as as Ski went, and they they really didn't have success, as you see. You know, both games against Arizona, or all three games against Arizona, um, the tournament game when he did when he didn't play well, it was you know scary time for for that team, and they took you know some serious beatings, not 
only because Ski didn't play well, but Ski not playing well is kind of the beginning. And I think you talked about the snowball effect. I think when he, you know, starts going 0 for 3 to start the game, everyone kind of loses their mojo a little bit, and that's when that snowball effect gets going. Yeah, I actually probably would have had Josh Scott as my MVP if he had played a little bit better down the stretch, particularly in the Pac-12 tournament. Um, I'm going to go with the Skia Booker. And you look at some of the, the big moments of the season, obviously the the shot to beat Kansas, and some of their big wins, uh, like he, uh, Skia Booker led the team in, in scoring against Arizona State in that, that win uh, in Boulder. Um, in the Pac-12 tournament, 21 points against USC, clinched their spot in the tournament, 17 against Cal, you know, helping them get uh, to have their highest uh, seed. Uh, Josh Scott, meanwhile, had uh, team-high 13 turnovers in the final uh, five games, and his stats went down kind of uh, at the end of the season, and I think it's just a situation where um, he knows what he has to improve on now going into the offseason. It's ha- handling double teams, and uh, if he can do that, that's – He's an NBA player once he figures that out. But right now uh, we're going to move on to Defensive Player of the Year. I went with Josh Scott here. Not not one guy on this team that was just a great defender, but he kind of wins this award by default uh, by leading the team and with 102 defensive rebounds. Uh, was just one shy of the team lead with 40 blocks, one short of uh, Wesley Gordon's 41 for the season. And his 28 steals for a big second on the team. Um, so that's why I went with Josh Scott, Ryan. Yeah, I also chose Josh, <clears throat> and it's it's gonna this is kind of gonna filter into a, another award that's down here. But I just look at you know the improvement that he made on the defensive end, and it was vast. I mean, you see him. I mean, you talked about him leading the team in rebounds. He was high pointing rebounds. He didn't do that at all on the defensive end last year. He's blocking shots uh, from guards that are coming in there, which was really something that, I mean, we, we expected it from Wesley Gordon, but we thought there was going to be, you know, a, a big drop-off in protecting the rim when you lose a guy like Andre Robertson. And I think um, Josh improving his blocking ability and, like, and a lot of his blocks he kept, he's not one of the guys sending it in, into the 10th row. He's kind of one of those effective blockers that blocks it and, and gives the team a chance to get a turnover out of that. So just the, the improvement that he made on that side of the ball um, p- pops out to me so much that I think he's got to win that award. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely the simple, most easy answer. I, I don't disagree with you guys at all. I think Josh is probably definitely – he's got to be the defensive MVP without a lot of options. I would say, though, I was, I was impressed with Xavier Johnson in several games this year. Last year I would have never said that he would have been given the matchup on the best – player on the opposite team he did that a couple times really effectively this year so if he can continue to progress on that end I think he really has a chance to be a better defender going forward and we're going to need him to be because he has the length to be successful there best freshman um and this includes redshirt freshman I think based off that I had to go with Wesley Gordon Solid, not spectacular. I think he's got more potential than what he showed this year. Injuries um, kept him out of a few games, but six rebounds a game, six points a game, uh, as I mentioned, led the team in blocks and shot a solid 48%, which was the second best of all the rotation players. So uh, he was a guy, again, just had a good season. Hope to see more from him in the future. Yeah, you would have expected um, before the season that there's gonna, this was going to be kind of a, a tough thing to choose for the fact that a lot of freshmen were playing well. I think it's a tough thing to choose because I don't think any of them popped out to me. Um, just for the sake of conversation, I guess, I, I went with Jerron Hopkins. Um, 
I think, you know, he had some good games on the defensive end. Um, we've talked a lot about this, but he really made some big shots during games. And before the season, I talked about this. I did not expect him to do that at all. So I think, you know, just his improvement shooting the ball from when he came in to Boulder and um, just like the fact that there's really not that, that much to choose from, I, I went with Jerome. Yeah, I agree. This is a tough award because, to me, I, I know for a fact that my answer is Wes, but I don't like Wes as much as a lot of other people do. I, I, just, I just haven't been as high on his game this year. He's frustrating for me, and you're going to see him again on this list, and it's going to contradict what I'm saying here. But, I mean, just given <laughs> given the stats, Wes has played as the best freshman, but to me, he's got to get a lot better. I mean, it's just, just my personal opinion. Up next, most improved, I went with Xavier Talton. Uh, you look, and this is specifically, for the most part, what he did once Spencer did when he got hurt, inserted into the starting lineup. During conference play, shot 41%, was really their best uh, three-point shooter um, down the stretch in the season, and really kind of developed into their their fourth best option on offense. Uh, and uh, when he was a freshman, I, I did not envision him having – the ceiling in his career to be what he was late in the season, much less in his second year. So that, that really surprised me. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think that's a, a great pick. I go back to Josh Scott here because I think he elevated his game in a whole different way. I think um, Xavier Talton went from questionable to serviceable or maybe a little bit better. I think Josh Scott went from a good player to maybe even a great player. Um, maybe not quite great. You talked about his last five games of the season, and he kind of faltered off. And I mean, he he had really no idea what to do with those hard doubles. But his defensive improvement, um, he started. I mean, all that weight he put on, it really, really worked for him on the defensive end and on the offensive end. Um, he kind of got pushed around on both sides last year. So the fact that he, you know, took his game to a new level. Um, from good to, I'll say almost great, uh, that that gives him most approved to me. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I actually agree with both of you guys. I think they're both great and the right answers. Um, Josh, he struggled in the second half of his freshman year. He just didn't have enough size. And I think that's going to be a common issue again going forward. I mean, he's got to get maybe even 10 pounds bigger. I mean, you look at some of these guys that are dominating in the tournament now. They're bigger than him quite a bit. Um, he looked small compared to Talib Zana. And you look at Talib Zana next to Will You Get and Patrick Young, and he's looking like a stick figure out there. So but Josh, if you look at anyone next to Patrick I, Young. I know, but you know what I'm saying, though. Like some of these guys on the East Coast are just animals. Yep. And so Josh has got he's, – he's got – and he put on the weight pretty easily, it seemed like, last year. So he can get a couple more on him, I think, and be even more productive going forward. And Xavier, to me, um, was always a guy I was really high on. I thought he had a high ceiling. Um he obviously vastly improved this year. He had to, um, and that, that always kind of seems to really help people grow as a basketball player. Um, to me, going forward, he needs to be more aggressive. Um, he's a good three-point shooter, and he doesn't take enough shots. Um, he Sometimes he gets lost out on the floor trying to find other people, and he, he's got to be more of a stat stuffer next year because he's a more capable player than he shows offensively. One thing you, you kind of talked about what Josh needs to do next year in terms of getting bigger – I think one thing I want to see from him is to extend his range out a little bit on that shot. He's a good shooter from out there, and I know it's a little different when you're when you're at the C Rec Center. But I played with him at the C Rec Center the other day, and he was like six for six, maybe seven for seven from three, just shooting three. So I mean, if because big men are going to give that to him when they're guarding him, they have to. 
So I'd like to see him extend that shot out a little bit and so take some of those wide open top of the key threes that he that are available to him. It's one of the ugliest looking jump yeah, shots, yeah. but it goes in yep. most yeah, of the right. time. It yeah, looks yeah. like, I mean, for a big guy, he has to put a lot of body into that shot. Yeah, I will say one one thing he has to do is he's right-handed. Uh, he's obviously ambidextrous, but he does, he refuses to shoot with his right hand, and which makes him easier to double. Because people know where he's, they're, they're going to go at him every single time, and he refuses to turn the other way. He's got to get, if he can get a right hand to hook, off, especially on the left block where he spends most of his time, that'll really help him because it'll, it, it'll make people more wary of giving him a double because he'll be able to make a move out of that and score more efficiently. Up next, we're going to pick our most versatile uh, selection here. I went with Xavier Johnson, just kind of one of those basketball players that's a jack of all trade, trades, a master of none. He does a lot of things well but nothing really great as a basketball player. And, again, this isn't a category that really jumped out at me that one guy definitely deserved it. I just went with him kind of by default. Uh, yeah, I, I have to agree with that. He's kind of that swing swing forward. He plays the wing. He can he can guard not all positions, but he can guard a lot of positions on the floor. Um, and I think, you know, that, that was valuable and is going to continue to be valuable for Tad Boyle. Um, he, he actually had a lot of success at the four um, on both sides of the ball. So I think, um, yeah, for, for me, he's my first, most versatile. Yeah, I actually took a different approach here. I went with the Skia um, simply because he had to really become a totally different player. I thought player. about that, too. That's a yeah, good pick. Yeah, yeah. He, he, totally different player after Spencer went out. I mean, he went from being strictly a combo guard, you know, low efficiency, high volume shooter, to really being a guy that ran the offense for us in the second half of the season. Um, it wasn't always as effective as you would like from a point guard, but given his role as a player previously, I thought he did a really admirable job uh, transitioning roles for this team. Most disappointing. We discussed this on a recent show, and I think we were pretty much in a, on agreement in this. And you guys can disagree if you want to, but Dustin Thomas uh, was a freshman that showed a lot of promise when he first came in in practice. Did not translate to games. He did play 15 minutes a game, but he only shot 18% from the three-point line, which is supposed to be his strength. 55% at the line. Uh, led the team with 83 personal fouls. Had 49 turnovers, just three blocks. Not a lot to say... I don't want to pile on here, but it was it was a rough freshman year for Dustin Thomas. Yeah, I'll I'll go a different direction. I think Dustin Thomas is an easy pick for most of disappointing, especially since as soon as he got on campus, the hype that was surrounding him got even bigger and bigger and bigger. But uh, I'll I'll just go with George King because I thought that he has a lot of potential. He has a lot of a lot of skills. He has a very um, wide skill set, and he just could not figure it out. He could he couldn't figure it out. In practice, he couldn't get the offense ready going. He didn't know where to be on defense enough to the point where he couldn't even get himself on the floor. He started, you know, getting in there with Bo Gamble at the end of games. And I really thought that he was going to be a player that by the end of the non-conference was actually going to, you know, figure into the to the rotation with his rebounding abilities. But for him to not even be able to figure it out enough to see time on the floor uh, was super disappointing. Yeah, I'm going to go a different direction, too. Uh, to me, a freshman, you never really know what you're going to get. So I'm not overly disappointed when any of them struggle. Um, that's just like an overbearing, you know. For, for me, anytime you can get a freshman to contribute consistently, that's a win. Um, and I know West technically is a freshman, too, but he's been in the program. He's here for a whole year. And, and based on what people were saying about him previous to the season and even during the season, to me, he just – too many times there'd be a missed box out and it was Wes. 
there's someone scoring three or four possessions in a row and it's West guarding him and he's supposed to be our best defender. I, just, I mean, I don't know if I watch the game differently or just like different things than a lot of people that watch basketball or what, but to, to me, he, I constantly found myself frustrated with him out on the floor. And I just, I think for, for him, kind of similar to Xavier Johnson, honestly, it's a, it's a, not an effort thing. It's just a concentration thing. I think he, he lap, he lapses on the court. And when that happens, he gets beat. Yeah, I think that whole effort thing kind of needs to be put to bed a little bit. Yeah. Um, people look at his mannerisms and say things like we had on our board that he doesn't care out there and he's not trying. And, I mean, if you look at him in some of his best games of the season when he had double digits, he's getting and ones. He still has that same look on his face. He, he He's not a Xavier Johnson pump right. the chest, slap the floor. He's just – he just – that's just how he is on the court. He's kind of in his in his own, and he does have some concentration lapses sometimes. But to say that he isn't trying or he doesn't care is really unfair to him. I yeah, think. I would agree 100. It's never been a. I've never questioned his effort. I mean, obviously he's a high energy guy. He gets a lot of rebounds, undersized. Um, but there's too many lapses for me right now, and I expect more from him going forward. And our final uh, award is best interview from a media standpoint, and Spencer Dinwiddie takes this uh, award easily. He's always one of those guys that gives you an honest answer. I think as a media member, it's hard to find those guys sometimes. Yeah, Spencer is great. But um, I have to give a little bit of love to Dustin Thomas because I didn't interview him very much as the season went on, as he kind of fell off. But before the season, um, talking to him, he always had a smile on his face. And I did an interview with him, um, um, kind of a backstory I knew about his tattoos. I I asked him if I could interview him about that. And it's a very sensitive subject for him. I mean, he has tattoos all across his body that are pretty much all dedicated to his sister who passed away. So it kind of meant a lot to me as a media member for him to be willing to open up about that and kind of share that story with people. So, And then honorable mention has to go to Bo Gamble because he, he's always good for a good quote. I mean, at the, after that, they lose by 29 points in that game in the tournament. He's out there saying, well, at least I get to tell my kids that I hit a buzzer beater in March Madness. There you go. The silver linings. Well, the next topic is Spencer Dinwiddie, and obviously we don't know if he's coming back next year. He told Tom Kensler of the Denver Post after the Pittsburgh game that he'd like to decide in the next few weeks here. He doesn't want to take it to the end, which is admirable. I think as soon as he knows, we'll know. Uh, When that happens uh, is anybody's guess, but again, it should be sometime here within the next month or so. First off, let's go around the table and just – give our gut feeling. We don't know what Spencer Dinwiddie's thinking, but we might have a gut feeling of whether he's going to come back or not. Tyler, let's start with you. Yeah, um, right now my gut feeling is he's not coming back. Um, I had the same feeling last year with Andre, and obviously it's different situations, different players. But to me, my initial reaction is always if you can get first-round money, you go. I mean, there's too, there's too many variables. You know, you're trying to take care of your family, trying to take care of yourself. And even if you don't make it in the NBA, which I don't see happening for Spencer at all, I mean, I think he's going to be a 10-year NBA guy. Um, you know, making a million dollars is a lot of money. That can help you even if you don't make it long. So, to me, um, obviously his injury leaves a lot up in the air. Um, he's said himself that if he doesn't get a first-round grade, he's going to come back. But... Just as we saw with Andre last year, I mean, he had a guarantee from the Thunder that he was going to get drafted, and they followed through on that. And I think it only takes one team. There's a lot of teams that have multiple first-round picks 
that you'd have to really, you know, point at and say that's someone that would take a chance on him. And I, I think healthy, he's a late lottery guy. Um, and if I'm an NBA GM and I say I like Spencer Dinwiddie at number 12 healthy and you're sitting there at number 28 with a pick, that's a, you know, it's a pretty safe chance to take on an NBA guy. Yeah, uh, my, I feel like I'm in the same boat as Spencer. Um, I was told by uh, a current player on the team that he – it's a different thing every day when he wakes up. So my gut feeling is a different thing every day uh, when I wake up. Uh, I get I since that blowout loss, I've probably gotten about 20 texts from different people. Is Spencer coming back? Is Spencer coming back? And I've probably told 12 of them yes and eight of them no. <laughs> so uh, I uh, it's it's a toss up. Um, right now, I actually I think I, my gut feeling is that he does stay. Um, I know you guys. We've talked about this before, and I don't think you guys think it, it's a positive thing, but I think when you see that team that you that you love and care about get beat by 29 in the, in the NCAA tournament, there's kind of a feeling that, wow, I, you know, I don't want to leave this this like this. I, I want to come back, and I want to take them to the Sweet 16. I want to take them to the Elite Eight. So, I, you know, my legacy is solidified, and, and I didn't, you know, bail it during a hard time. It, that he might perceive it that way. So, like I said, it, it's a toss-up. Uh, right now, I think that there's a pretty good chance that he does stay. My gut feeling is that he goes pro, and Tyler, to a lot of your points, talking about it just takes one team, and there are teams that have multiple picks, and he's a guy, even as deep as this draft is, and, and with his ACL and the question marks surrounding that, there's got to be one team late, late in the 20s that's going to take a chance on him, I would think. Uh, we don't know that uh, for a fact, but I just that's the sense I get. And, and if I'm a Colorado fan, basketball fan out there, I'm probably going to want to brace myself for the fact that he won't be in the program. And if he does come back, then just enjoy it then. But definitely I would not expect him back. You, you, Ryan, yeah. you said your gut that he, is that he comes back. But for Colorado fans, I wouldn't recommend that they expect that, right? Mm-hmm. No, no, definitely don't expect it. My, advi- my one advice for Spencer would be, if he does come back, do it in a cool way. Like, <laughs> pretend like you're going to leave, like you're about to say you're leaving, and then, like, rip off a sweatshirt, you have your jersey on underneath, something like that, because that'll just yeah, make, yeah. That'll make the fans even more happy. a really cerebral guy. I mean, you can even see on Twitter he's very open about his thoughts on any topic, especially this, too, and... You know, he'll, he'll comment, you know, somebody the other day, I know he retweeted and talked to somebody for a little bit about saying, I don't know how you could watch that game and not come back. And, you know, he came back with the perfect answer, which is, you know what, I, I get what you're saying, but to me, this is a business decision. And I don't think there are a lot of kids out there that can take the approach that he does. He's smart enough to realize that this is a business decision. And sure, it's disappointing to see your team lose by 29 points, but... If you get an opportunity to go play at the NBA, dream that he's had since he was a little kid, I'm sure any basketball player does. It's not enough not to go to me. And, I mean, I think by no means am I 100% confident that he's gone. It's a tough decision. The injury, um, like I said, there's a lot of variables involved. And and we'll have to see what the NBA guys tell him. But if he comes back, it's going to be a party in Boulder next year. Yeah, when you talk about preseason expectations for next year, I feel like if – Spencer Dinwiddie comes back. You're talking about unquestionably them being a top 15 team in basically every publication, depending who comes back from Arizona. If, if Nick Johnson leaves, if he potentially leaves, you're talking about Air, uh, Colorado possibly being the the pick preseason pick in the Pac-12 to win uh, the conference. If Spencer comes back, if he doesn't come back, 
how much does that affect the, the preseason expectations for this team? Um, I think it goes down drastically. All of a sudden, um, most of your prediction eggs are going to be in the Dom Collier basket. Um, prediction so, eggs. <laughs> so you uh, you have to you know realize that you're counting on freshmen to if they're going to go to that next level, win one maybe two games in the NCAA tournament, finish in the top four of the conference, which they've still yet to do. You're really going to be basing that off of what a player that played in 5A Colorado basketball is going to be able to do against Pac-12 basketball players. So I think um, it goes down uh, drastically. I think you have to go back to you know predicting them. Yes, they're going to be in the top half of the conference, maybe not as high as two or one like they would be uh, with Spencer Dinwiddie. And then you kind of have to say, well, maybe they're going to win one, maybe two games in the tournament instead of saying, well, they should be a Sweet 16 team. Are they still a top? Are they a t- top 25 preseason team without him? No. In your so. opinion, okay. Spencer? No, yeah, I don't. I don't think so either. I, I think we need a lot of um, progression from Xavier, and I think Dom's going to have to be ready to start right away in order to start getting that tough. And as we see every year, every team that has all the good freshmen gets rated in the top 25, and then 75 percent of them fall off because. Expectations on freshmen are way too high every single season. We see it every year. Um, yeah, similar to Ryan. If he comes back, I mean, you said top fifteen. I'll say top ten. I okay. think I think they'll be that good. So um, they're they're top ten with him, and not even in the top twenty-five without. Yeah, him. I think. So. I mean, you look at this year's team. Take it away. What do you see? Someone that's yeah. not nearly. Well, as I talented. think my my answer to that would be that it, it's a little different when you have a whole off season to sure, prepare no. for losing him than when it happens in the. Middle I agree year. with that one hundred percent, but I still think the drop off in talent between Spencer and Xavier, and we'll see about Dom. Like I said, Dom is going to be the X factor in this as well. Um, is is really high. I mean, Spencer's a lottery pick. We don't get a lot of those at Colorado. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, we're not going to be bad. You know, you see, it was the same thing as last year with, with Andre. We said if he comes back, he'll, they'll be a top 15 team. Without him, they'll be fringe top 25, which ended up being 100% true, and then Spencer goes down and you drop down even farther. You know, one player, it's, it's basketball. It's, you know, football, you can hide one guy a little bit more. There's a lot more people on the field. Um, in basketball, one dude really can't carry your program, and in this case, I think Spencer is that guy for our program right now. The biggest thing they're going to have to figure out if he goes pro is – on the offensive end, there were these droughts mm-hmm. of eight, nine, ten minutes where they're not making a field goal. And those were always the times where Spencer Dinwiddie would get aggressive, get to the free throw line, yeah. snap them out of there. And I think that uh, was the number one thing without him. I, you, there's so many things he brought to the table. Um, now the question is, if Spencer Dinwiddie leaves, can Colorado still have a, quote, special season uh, in 2014-15? slash Yeah, I think it goes back to the same thing. I think Dom Collier can – be the type of player that leads them to a special season. Um, and just, I mean, the thought of that is kind of cool to think about just because he's the Colorado guy. He, you know, a lot of people have called him the next Chauncey Billups or at least said the best thing since Chauncey Billups. So I think, you know, there's potential for that. But again, it it's a freshman. And like Tyler said earlier in the show, you never know what you're going to get from a freshman. Um, he could come in and all of a sudden – Forget how to shoot like Dustin Thomas did. So um, it's possible. Uh, I think the chances are much, much lower. Yeah, I mean, I think specifically with him, you mentioned perfectly, Spencer can get to the hole and create. Um, he's a big enough guard that he can go through contact. Dom isn't. 
It's a small guy. It's going to take a while for him to adjust to, you know, college-level athletes' physicality. Um, you know, the, the college game is pretty physical, especially compared to the high school level. So I'm not ready to say he's going to come out here and play like Spencer did his freshman year. Not because he's not talented, but because it takes a while to adjust, and he's a smaller guard. He's going to get pushed around. He's an elite defender, but can you guard somebody who's 40 pounds heavier than you on a consistent basis? I'm not, I'm not sure that's a reasonable expectation. Um one thing to say, he is smaller, but he has elite body control, which is something that can yeah, help no, smaller I mean, guards going in there. Yeah, he's an elite athlete. He's, he's going to get pushed, though. I mean, it's just yeah. it's one of you can be as elite as you want as an athlete. As a you know, he's obviously really long. He gets a lot of steals, but you know, it's it's tough to get steals when a dude is forty pounds pushing on you, getting to the rim. Mm-hmm. So, um, to to me, could it be a special season? Uh, it depends on what your definition is. Um, can they be an eight seed like they were this year, win a game in the tournament? Absolutely. I, I don't know if I'm ready for this guard team, depending on how Dom's plays, like I said, um, to make a Sweet 16 run. Well, once again, it all depends on matchups, and th- you know, it very possibly could happen, but it could it could be a season similar but slightly better to this one, in my opinion. If Spencer decides to come back I think my expectations for Dominique Collier would be he's your first guy off the bench maybe your sixth man if he can play that role if Dinwiddie goes pro does Dom step right into the starting point guard spot is that your expectation or do you want to ski a booker did he show enough after Dinwiddie got hurt to play the one do you do you want to keep Talton in the starting lineup Ryan what would you be your expectations without Um, obviously seeing Dominique Collier practice at CU I think your best case scenario if Spencer's gone is that yeah Dom comes in and without a question is your starting point guard um by the by the time the season starts um but you know Xavier Talton could take a jump in all of a sudden Xavier Talton's a junior um, he so you know if he makes a big improvement then maybe you don't have to count on Dom as much but I think the best case scenario is yes Dom comes in and you can look out there and say that's the starting point guard yeah I mean I, I have to agree 100% I mean, you know not 100% what you're getting with Xavier Talton but yeah, I mean you know what he is as a player you know what you're going to get if he's starting so if Dom can jump that that's odd, that makes your program better I mean if you know you're getting a player than Xavier Talton is today Okay, okay, you take that right now. Um, I, I think if Spencer does come back, Dom probably he won't be the first person off the bench only because he's playing point guard and Spencer's going to play thirty eight minutes a game. So he'll play, but I don't I don't think he's going to. He the, can play off the ball. I mean, he yeah, did he, a lot in high school. Obviously, he can, but I don't think he's going to be the first off the ball guy to come off the bench only because he is an on the ball. They want him to be an on the ball guy. So to me, he's not. He's gonna play. There's no doubt about that. But I think Xavier will probably come in for him just just based on the roster dynamics. Um, and we'll see what happens there, though. I mean, like I said, I think Xavier needs to get a lot, a lot more aggressive and be more of a force offensively. Um, but I think his best role on a good team would be to be a bench guy, Xavier Tom. Um, so yeah, I mean, to me, ideally, you know, Spencer comes back, Don gets to learn behind him. Um, you know, learn from one of the best point guards in the country, which Spencer would be next year. Um, and if Spencer doesn't come back, ideally for us, Dom is the point guard. Right and on. I would assume with Dominique Collier having some role on the team that Eli Stalzer is probably the odd man out. He's yeah. probably not getting on the court going forward. Yeah, yeah he's, but he's going to be playing the walk-on minutes. There's no reason to uh, assume that he's going to transfer because of that. He has a pretty good 
So yeah, I've, I've just heard a lot of people saying, "Well, if he's pushed out, is he going to transfer?" No. Well, he's really big into the music yeah. school, right? So I mean, he's getting a free education. He's having fun. He's he's not going anywhere. Hopefully, you get a chance to watch Dominique Collier a little bit during um, Denver East State Championship run. We've talked a lot about him on this show. We haven't talked about Tory Miller, the other signee that's going to come in, big body, uh, physical guy. Played with Dominique Collier on the AAU circuit, called him kind of their enforcer. Um, and what kind of role is he going to have on the team next year? Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing for me as a freshman. My expectations are always tempered. Um, I, I do like his potential and what he can do for this team, though. Um, simply, be, I mean, you look at, we talked about this a little bit before, the teams in the Sweet 16 right now, physical on defense. Physical. Like, the, there's somebody on their team, you go into the lane, you're going to remember that he's there. The next time you do it, especially during the game, we don't have that guy right now. We're, we're a pretty skinny ball club. I mean, you look around the country, even though we were good with Spencer. I mean, you could. There, most teams were bigger than us. Most teams were stronger than us. We just had elite cards um, with Spencer on the court. Um, he, you look at his tape. He's not a great athlete. I mean, he can he can dunk. He can you know he can get up, but he's not he's not going out there like Aaron Gordon and putting one off the top of the backboard. That's not going to happen. But I do really love the fact that he finishes with authority. I don't know that he's going to be able to do it at this level, but you like that kind of mentality from a kid coming in to finish above the rim. Uh, but we'll see um, how, it, how it happens. But I, I, he, he knows how to use his body in film, which for someone who's not a great leaper, that's really important because you can get your shot off if you know how to use your size. Um, I think he can be a very solid bench guy. He's not going to start for us. He may never start for us. We'll see. Um but, you know, someone that's really important to a championship-quality team, really physical guy, can intimidate, get the boards you need, um, give you a couple extra fouls on the front line. You know, he'll be an important piece next year. For us. The physicalness is, I think, one of the things this team was missing, right. and that's the thing I think he can bring. Ryan, you saw him on the AAU circuit. Kind of delve into a little bit about what you know about him as a player. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of what he's going to bring to this team is mentality. Um, you just, just the fact that, you know, Wes and Josh are going to have to play against him every day in practice, which they, you know, Wes is kind of, is kind of a tougher guy down there, but not really. So once he starts getting pushed around by, you know, a freshman who's going to come in, who's going to be more buff than him the second that he steps on campus, um, I think it's going to kind of help things click for those two. And then, you know, offensively, he's not bringing you much. I see people on the board complaining that he's averaging 12 points a game or some around then at, at uh, his prep school. That's a lot of points per game for a guy who, at this point, he's not, you know, hitting jump hooks right with his right and left hand like Josh Scott by any means. So, you know, don't expect him to be above a couple points a game. I think, like I said, it all comes down to mentality and kind of bringing that toughness and that banger mentality that I'm going to throw your face into the rim if you give me any opportunity to, that can kind of, you know, make a whole, an entire team tougher just having one guy out there in practice who's doing that every day. Is there a guy that would see their who would see their role diminish if Tory Miller comes in and is everything we a Colorado fan would hope he, he's going to be in terms of all all the attributes you guys talked about. Uh, to me, no, no one, no, I, I yeah. would say. I mean, there's enough minutes spread around. I think Ben, who got a couple minutes a game, is now gone, so those minutes are available. Um, I think it allows Xavier to play more three. I think it allows allows Wes 
Some, some Wes is on the court. Does does it, does spurts. doesn't it put a lot of pressure on Wes Gordon to get better? If, yeah, no, yeah. I, yeah, I think so, 100. percent I think he's still going to get his minutes because they're very different players. You're not going to play them together very often unless you're going to a super small lineup. Um, but I, I don't think you're going to see Wes's minutes cut by him. So but I, I, I do. This, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, not not enough that it's not that it's a concern for him by any stretch. I, I think it makes his life easier. Honestly, I mean, he can now. This could attribute to he has to play a careful because if he gets in foul trouble, we don't have anybody to come in and play behind him right now, Wes. And I, I think it allows them both to be more aggressive defensively, um, more physical because you have somebody else behind him who you know can come in and be a physical presence as well. I think as far as their, their recruiting efforts go for the next uh, recruiting class, I think it's pretty much unanimous that Colorado fans just want somebody they can shoot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's guys out there. There's guys out there that they're looking at that can shoot. I mean, we've ta- I've talked a lot about Rex Fluger. He can knock it down. Um, I posted not too long ago that they are keeping an eye on Jake Holtzman, um, who's a Colorado guy who has really, really made improvement over his career. And he is a knockdown shooter. So, um, you know, it, there's a lot of guys out there that Tad Boyle is looking at who are straight in the Tad Boyle mold. He's just going to want to bring in more six, seven guys that – play the wing and get up and down the floor and are long and athletic, but he is, I mean, they're not, they are, they are in on some guys who can, who can shoot the ball. Initially, I was going to talk about some spring football topic uh, storylines from the first two weeks. Uh, we're running close to an hour already. I think we'll just come back and do a whole spring ball show um, and stick to basketball here for the last few minutes. Tad Boyle, I think, when they were snubbed that first year, made a, a decision that he was never going to have them on the outside looking in because of his scheduling again. Mm-hmm. And we've seen him schedule very difficult non-conference opponents since then. I think at this point, that's pretty much the way they're going to be year in and year out. Do you guys like the way they scheduled this last season? Is that a schedule you'd want to see them duplicate next year? Yeah, I think you have to just keep scheduling that way. Um you, you even see, you know, two years ago, you get beat by Kansas by 40, and it still helps you getting into the tournament. So Tad has kind of figured out the art, and he's always called it an art of scheduling, and I think he has it pretty pretty down right now. So you, you have to stay with that. I think one thing you're going to start to see, though, is I don't know how many schools like Kansas are going to want to come into the course event center anymore. Um, you know, other, other schools are going to see that you don't – very uh, win very often going in there so it might get a little harder to try and get those home and home series but I, as long as tad can can keep scheduling opponents like that i think yeah you have to keep doing it yeah i mean i think to me what i was really happy to see with the committee this year is that they really stuck to their you know to their morals smu gets left out that's a extremely similar profile to the one you saw Colorado get left out four years ago a team like byu who um some people weren't sure they're going to get in. You look at their non-conference schedule and their attendance weren't even close to the bubble, according to the committee. So uh, I, I think I think that's one thing you can always the committee is going to know you if you have a non-conference schedule that's legit, and it makes you better. I mean, I, I think you look at any team. Same thing with Pittsburgh, underseeded because they didn't play anybody, and you know, yeah, they got to see us in the first round, but the committee wasn't too happy clearly because they put them on Florida in the second game, you know, and, and they would they would have beat a lot of two and three seeds in this tournament. So, I mean, they, they were put there for a reason, and people can say they weren't. But, you know, they know what they're doing. They want to see you play somebody in the non-conference. Um, playing in the tournament, um, I think, 
is better than what we did this year. Um, you know, that round robin with Wyoming, some scrubs, some, some scrub squads. We don't want to do that every year. We're in a tournament again next year, and I think that's something we want to do more continually going forward. Um, I agree, people aren't going to want to play in cores, uh, but you can do a home and home, and it's a little bit easier. Um, and the neutral court games, um, especially with the Pac 12 really pushing that on, on teams, I think that's something that we should continue to see. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. I mean, anytime you have a, a non conference game that's worth going to, to go check out, that's always fun. We saw attendance numbers drop a little bit, and then there's a lot of excuses out there for that. Still, by and large, the attendance numbers were good. Is there some worry that the novelty of CU basketball being good could affect this program going forward in terms of attendance numbers? Not for me. I mean, I think – I really do truly think that it was just that there's just a huge disappointment factor behind losing Spencer. Um, also, the scheduling is I, – I would like to see – the one thing I would – I didn't mention this before. The one thing I would like to see different about the scheduling is we schedule too many home games during breaks. Um, yeah. That's – obviously, it's tough. To avoid that, but I think I think next year we're gone for Christmas, right? That's when that Hawaii tournament is. Yep, they're there. Yeah, they're so, the, so, that, so that'll help. Um, so you get, you know, every like clockwork. Every time those December thirtieth games come around, people are like, ah, no one's here. It's like, yeah, they're with their families celebrating yeah. Christmas, New Year's, you know, things like that. So people that always gets overblown that around that time of the year. I, I think if you see a more consistent performance level um, from the team, the the, the the, the turnout will be more consistent. And, and the, it's funny to me that, like, 10,000 is to the point where people are saying it's empty now. <laughs> you know, like, six years ago, 10,000, we would have said we were the best fan base in America. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, to me, it's just being it's being slightly overblown. I mean, I don't think we're not never going to get to the point where we sell out every game. But, I mean, if we're getting 10,000 people in the stands, that's fine. You, you, you're not... I don't, I don't have too many issues with that. Yeah, I think Spencer coming back or not is going to have somewhat of an effect on the, the season ticket numbers um, and kind of the early season hype. I think if he's there, you're seeing sold-out games to start the season, mm-hmm. student section full, a lot of hype around it. But even if they lose Spencer, I think um, the fact that Dom Collier is coming in, you might get um, a few more of those Denver crowd who have been hearing that name, Dom Collier, Dom Collier, for the last – four years while he's in high school that want to say, hey, let's go see the the hometown kid up in Boulder this season. So I think that is going to have a positive effect on the attendance. Um, but again, yeah, you got to play well consistently. You got to, you know, start 8-0 and, and get people's, you know, get people uh, talking about Colorado basketball before you're going to see those sold out games against Jackson State. Well, I think that puts a wrap on our show here, a wrap on uh, a good but not a great Colorado basketball season. And obviously the expectations are going to continue to go to a different level uh, next season. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you next week.